This is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode number 213. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. I'm your host as always, Jim Harmer, and today I'm joined by the host of the Photo Taco Podcast, Jeff Harmon, and also by one of the writers on improvephotography.com. You haven't heard him yet, yet on the podcast, but you've definitely read him on the website, Brian Pex. Hey guys. Hey everybody. How are you, Jim? I am doing good. Uh, things are busy around Improved Photography Central these days. We have 20 days until our first conference, the Improved Photography Retreat uh, in Phoenix. And I'm really getting excited for it. And also next week, I am taking off on a jet plane to Ireland uh, to shoot with some readers of Improved Photography. Uh, we have some really cool shoots uh, set up for that Uh I, I'm just super excited. So I'm in photography heaven, but I haven't been sleeping a whole lot. <laughs> we've uh, we've been doing a lot. And the really good photo spots app is going to be released in hopefully less than 30 days. Uh, so big stuff coming on. Um, we have a lot to talk about today. One of the cool things that happened this week is that Canon made three camera announcements. Doesn't happen every day. They announced the Canon 77D, the Canon T7i, and the mirrorless Canon M6. And well, first, I, let me just tell you a couple of the specs of the Canon 77D. That's what we want to talk about and just kind of explore which of, of you guys listening to the podcast should buy this camera. Um, so it has 25,600 ISO, which is awesome. We're definitely getting up there. The new Digic Digi 7 processor. It inherits the 45-point autofocus um, system from the Canon 80D, which is its older brother. And... Uh, it it has some cool stuff in it you know it has all the you know more pro features like the top lcd and things like that but you know it's the same sensor and really same everything else as the canon t7i the rebel um but it costs 110 dollars more okay so there's the spiel on it um I, i'll throw this over to, to you first jeff who should buy the canon 77d I think consumers are going to be super confused by this because they're going to, these are both cameras targeted at the first time DSLR purchaser. Someone who's getting, looking to get into photography. Um, they'll probably be at the Costco at <laughs> places like that to, to pick up your first camera. And as they're going to look at the both of them and say, Oh, what's the difference between these two? Mm -hmm. And then they may just say, well, this one's $110 more. I should probably just get it. Cause I don't know what these things even mean. And, um, no, they can't make an informed decision. And there's some, some software features, which just bothers me because that means all Canon did was deliberately disabled the features in the firmware of the T7i trying to make it so that you'll get an extra $110 out of people. You're talking but, about like uh, the interval timer and bulb timer. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, and yep. those are those, useful. Uh, you know, to, yeah. to shoot a time lapse or you're out shooting night photography, you want bulb mode. Uh, Absolutely. Huh, yeah. that, 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 that one... The bulb timer is pretty frustrating. That should just be in every camera. It really should. Yep. So then it comes down to that top LCD panel, which I love. I use it constantly. It keeps me out of trouble. Make sure I don't keep settings in place that I had for my last shoot and look down and go, oh, that white balance is set to fluorescent lights and I'm outside now or vice versa. It, it, it's a way to be able to see where you're at. And I do love it. But boy, I don't think it's worth $110, especially if you're just getting into the new, the new cameras. So... 
I just really don't understand the target audience for this thing. It seems so arbitrary. Like they're trying to say, how can we just make a little bit more money off of this and not have to actually change anything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brian, what do you think? Well, my thought is uh, Canon is really putting all their money with the, uh, with the new full frame camera that's uh, rumored to be coming out later this year. Yeah, so they've there the rumors are out for a full frame mirrorless camera from Canon later this year. And I think we've heard enough uh, rumors at this point that it sounds pretty likely. Uh, yep. So you think they're they're kind of hedge they're kind of holding things back until then? Yeah, they they don't want to have too, you know, these companies some of them they have too many wows in one year and they can kind of overshadow shadow one other big announcement. So maybe they're just waiting up for that big wow when they release the uh, mirrorless. I, I don't can know, understand maybe. that. I I did see one comment on improved photography on the Facebook group. Um, somebody said when I put this out on Facebook, somebody said, well, I think we haven't seen anything surprising from Canon or Nikon in the last five years. And I thought about it and I said, you know, they've, I mean, cameras have gotten a lot better. They still make incredible equipment. But in terms of like, wow, I'm surprised that you did that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I've seen anything in the last five years that was like, you know, that just wow, uh, this is this is different. This is obviously pushing the the industry further. Really, only incremental updates for years, um, and and this definitely falls in line with that. Nobody sees the 77D or the T7I and really is surprised in any way, um, other than some of the things that were cut out and the one that's most obviously missing from this camera um, is 4k video it's crazy isn't it it's absolutely nuts that it doesn't have it in it i mean cell phones have had this in it for years 2017 um, we don't have that yeah exactly yeah, it's nuts crazy. right now in the canon system you can't get 4k video Anywhere in the Rebel line, anywhere in the advanced amateurs, the prosumer lines, even getting into the pro lines, the Canon 5D Mark IV only sorta does uh, does 4K video. You really have to go all the way up to the $7,000 cameras from Canon before you get 4K video. That is absolutely nuts. And you even have a brand new processor going in these things, Digic 7, so you know, that's You'd think that should be more capable and which is could be one of the reasons in the past they didn't do it was the processors weren't good enough to uh, to deal with that kind of data rates. Yeah, I think they want us to believe that, except, you know, you can put Magic Lantern on your camera and huh, yep. actually exactly. does do 4K yeah, great. video. Yeah. <laughs> great, great point. That's true. So, it's like, I, I don't know, I, I just can't imagine intentionally holding back a product and not making it as good as you can. Um, you mean like an optional viewfinder on a, on uh, yes, a yes, like on that Canon M6 that they announced as this accessory viewfinder. Um, that, that's uh, interesting. So the well, Canon 77D is going to be out in April 2017. Um, and the price tag is $900. You know, we've talked a lot about the negatives here. I, I want to be clear. This is still an incredible camera. You know, if you've got, you know, if you have a T3i, a T4i, maybe even a T5i, you got a several years old Canon Rebel and you're looking to step it up, but you don't want to waste a whole lot of budget on it. You know, you'd rather put something on lenses or something. 
this is probably the camera that I would recommend for you. Absolutely. You know, if you're a, a more capable photographer, you really want that top LCD screen. It's really nice to be able to glance at your settings. Um, and things are just progressing incrementally each year. So if you've got a camera several years old, this is a really good choice for you. Uh, I think we're just all a little bit frustrated that we haven't seen any really pushing of the envelope in many years. Yeah, the, uh, the word incremental is the uh, key word here. And that's what we're seeing a lot out of Nikon and Canon over the last several years now. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's an interesting camera. Uh, if it's for you, you should get it and enjoy it. I very capable. It's just, uh, it's just not groundbreaking is all. Well, Jeff, you have been testing some very interesting equipment, and I've got to confess, you have me waiting here, very anxious to see what your results are between the Wacom tablet and the <laughs> the Huion tablet. <laughs> um, so this is the $350 Wacom Intuos Pro versus the $80 Huion uh, Micro. And they, you know, each of them depend on price a little bit, depending on, uh, on what size you get. But it's essentially the exact same thing. The Huion is obviously made to look exactly like the Wacom, just a lot less expensive. So, don't keep me waiting any longer. You've been testing both of these for a little while, Jeff. Just lay it on me. Which one is better? Wacom. All right, the Wacom is. So what what features do you like on the Wacom over the Huion? So there's there's a few differences. There's it's it's fit and finish, it's professional features. There's definitely an advantage to Wacom. I mean, there's a there's a reason that it's that much more expensive. Well, there's a reason it's more expensive. I don't know about that much more expensive. Um, let's talk about some of the key differences. Now, I'm still going to spend some more time. So this isn't like my full review yet. I'm going to be doing one on Photo Taco later uh, after I've had more time with Wacom. I just switched to Wacom last week. So I've got a week in with Wacom and I had two months in with the Huion tablet. So I, I my experience may change as I get more time with it and as I discover more differences and how it works. But my initial reaction here, um, it's not a whole lot different from an overall experience perspective. They're very, very similar in the overall experience. But Wacom has a little bit smoother feel. And when I say smoother feel, I mean that the physical pen contact with the graphics tablet surface. That's That contact is a smoother feel. It's, so is uh, it like a, rough going over the Huion or what, what do you mean rough, by smooth? Maybe more like on the Huion, it feels like you're on paper and on the Wacom, you're on glass. Kind oh, of more right. of a feel that way. Okay. And and um, is it more laggy? Like as I'm moving my brush around, is no, it laggy? I haven't found it to be more laggy. That I was really wondering if that would be the case. But the Huion, as I was using, I was like, it feels just like great. I don't see any real big lag that's there. And uh, they, for that regard, they, they feel about the same to me. Okay. So, so what about the Huion then? Is it, is it good enough? Like, can you recommend somebody to buy this? Yeah. Especially if you, as you go, like I did, I, when, when I heard Nick page and, and Brian, I, I had, I've heard a lot of photographers just talk about them like crazy or it seemed mm -hmm. like every training video I was watching, 
they're talking, they're using a pen. You can see it as they're moving their hands. They have the pen in their hand still. Yes. And, yeah. and, uh, and I was like, wow, there's gotta be something to this thing. I gotta go check it out. And when I went to walk side, I went, well, not for that price. I'm not checking this out. <laughs> that was just too much for my hobbyist budget and curiosity and was all it was there. But my workflow was working just fine with the mouse. It wasn't anything broken to say, I need to go do this. So a curiosity factor for that kind of cost, there was no way I was going to spend that much money. So I went over. So would you recommend it? You can say, go buy the Hurion. It's great. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't hesitate in saying it provides a really good graphics tablet experience for some of the tools that you use. And that's kind of how I'm using it. I'm not using it full time. I know a lot of people have said that's the only way to make it. So you get really proficient with it. Uh, I still don't like using it for a lot of things, especially changing sliders in Lightroom. I hate doing that. That is, it's a very bad experience, in my opinion, to try to do that. So, uh, yeah, I no hesitation at all. If you want to try it out, um, it might even be something where if you try it out and then you run into some limitations. So another limitation between the two is the Hueyon brand has a driver where you can configure some buttons. It's very clear that they they really kind of copied exactly what Wacom builds. It's, you can take a look and you can see they've got map buttons mapped very closely, very similarly to, um, to the, the Wacom brand. Yeah. They look almost go, identical. You can go configure the buttons so that they do it. But what you can't do, Wacom will let you configure those buttons different by application that you are running and Huion won't. Oh, you, you know what would be cool? That just hit me. We were talking about the fit and finish. Last week, we talked about uh, MIDI 2 light, MIDI 2 LR, the program, so you can get a MIDI yep. controller and use like physical sliders. Um, yep. What if there was a graphics tablet that also had a set of sliders on the side so you could physically slide over for your exposure and stuff like that in Lightroom? Now we're Especially talking. That would be cool. Could, if they could reset, like if it was a software reset, that's the thing I don't like about any of those sliders. Those are physical, and that means wherever you left the slider, you either have to move it enough that it gets back to zero and, and go yeah. back and forth. Or, so or if dials. It was like, go to dial then. Yeah, dials work better. Or touch. If it was just touch, and so then you you touch, and wherever you touch is, is where it's moving. Anyway. That's that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so okay, so we said Wacom is is better, um, and the reason are uh, had more configurable things in the settings, like mapping the the buttons per program and things like that. You said, it, and it had a better fit and finish, but a smoother it, feel, smoother the feel. Pen, the pen does not require a battery. Ah, okay. The Huion requires a battery, so I have a rechargeable, and I had to go change it. It, it lasted about. Well, it depends on if I remember to turn it off or not. <laughs> what kind of battery is that? In that, just it's a, just a normal AAA battery. AAA. So, so I have a rechargeable that I drop in there, and it's great. There's no problem there. But I would often come to go do something, and I'm like, ah, shoot, I left the darn thing on. So it doesn't even auto turn off. It that's just, annoying. You know, turns yeah, off. That, that should so, so that's kind of you know the difference in some of the pro stuff there, and you can tell Wacom's really spent some time there. Um, I do have a concern that, so Connor was nice enough to send me the Wacom so that I could try it out and compare between the two. And, um, he, this was clearly his day-to-day driver tablet that he was using in his, his editing work. It's a very well-loved <laughs> tablet and, uh, the pen I'm worried I, it may be too loved, too used, uh, because I'm having trouble where as sometimes as I click down on the pen tip, to do like a mouse, emulate a mouse click button press, 
um, sometimes it never receives an up the, like you released the pen tip. And Brian, so it gets totally you use a, a Wacom tablet. Have you had that same problem? Not that problem uh, particularly, but it does take some time to get used to when you're like Jeff was saying with the sliders in Lightroom, I don't even use the Wacom tablet for that. I'll just use the uh, tab with the, uh, the arrow keys and then uh, shift tab to go back up and down, mm-hmm. you know, on the, uh, I, I'll, once in a while, I, I also use the uh, Apple magic pad. When I'm doing things like that, I'll use my hand for that. So you and, have uh, a magic pad, a mouse, and a Wacom no, tablet no, on your no, table? I don't, I don't have a mouse. Oh, my, okay, no mouse. Okay. No, mouse. Those, I haven't seen one of those since 2010. Oh, I love my mouse. You can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so I'm suspecting that I need to do something about the pen. I probably need to replace just the pen. Which I already tried to find on the site, and so far that's not gone well either. Like I expected him to say, "Oh yeah, replacement pen. Here you go." This, and I haven't found where that is. There's tips. You can place the nibs in the end of the pen. Yeah, they sell the uh, pen. It's like seventy dollars. It's ridiculous. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna have to go see. Uh, it's worth it to, for my review to go spend them seventy bucks to get the pen. So I think I'm gonna have to do that. Make sure that that I get I give it a fair shake because it, it for that just from that regard. It, it's gotten stuck enough that uh, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, you so, know what? There might, I've had mine for a little over a year now, and once in a while, it it doesn't get stuck, but it just it, I, this is a bad thing. It just stops working sometimes, and I have to completely un, unplug the uh, USB. And sometimes I have to reboot reboot Photoshop. For yeah, to, yeah to, that's to, a problem. It's yeah, not. That's, I mean, that's rare, but it's it's been happening more, maybe like once uh, every couple of weeks lately. You know, it's not good. Not good. So the ultimate question then, Jeff, I, I tested a Wacom tablet and I just, it didn't, it didn't have enough utility to convert me from the mouse. I think I'm just too stuck on using a mouse. Um, yeah, I, I totally get it. I like, I totally get, there are some things you can do with a Wacom tablet that you just can't with a mouse right. in Photoshop. And I, sometimes I do want that, but more than that, I want the efficiency and quickness of just using a mouse for everyday computing. Come on, Jim, give it two weeks. I, I gave it more than two weeks. I should try it again, but I've given it more than two weeks and I just wasn't converted. How Nick about Page you? Page is a so, big convert. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of lot of converts. Brian, you're obviously nope. a convert here, except you still yeah. use something else for your other stuff. It's just right. for Photoshop, huh? No, well, I use it for, uh, I don't, I'm not one. If I'm not using editing, I, I use my magic pad. I don't use the Wacom for that. At that, I don't see the point in that. Okay. Like and, just regular day-to-day use for the... Uh, computer like email whatever browsing i'm not going to use the uh, walk-in for that so jeff after one month is is a, a tablet either one whichever you pick is a tablet an essential piece of gear for you yeah it's an essential piece of gear for me but it's not something i'm going to be using more than probably about 10 percent of the time and 10 percent of the time in photoshop or 10 percent of the time in general in general, so Lightroom and Photoshop, I, I wouldn't use it outside of those tools at all. There's just the mouse is way more efficient. I think as a user interface tool, the mouse fits more closely. There's a reason we've used mice for so long for those things. It fits for the, those activities. Um, but for adjustment brushes and for doing some like selections and, and refining of masks in Photoshop, uh, and, and the adjustment rushes in Lightroom, oh, it's fabulous for that. So that I have it set up where I, I move the tablet down over the top of my mouse pad when I'm doing those activities, do them, it's great. And then when I'm kind of done, I move it back up and go back to the mouse. 
I'd like to also mention uh, on the Wacom how you can use the touch, the pad itself, like to pinch and zoom. And then I often like a piece of paper when you're drawing to rotate it also. I have it set that way. And that, that can be very handy at times because, you know, when you're drawing right to left, sometimes you just want to draw on a different angle. And, and sometimes the uh, canvas has to be turned a certain way where it just seems to make more sense, you know? Oh, very cool. Yeah. Well, and Jeff, that, that uh, pinch to zoom and the the touch stuff that you can do on the Wacom is not available on the Huion. So that's another difference. Ah, that is a big difference. Yeah. Well, thank you for that review. That's cool. Well, we want to get on and talk more about photographing basketball as well as the question of the week, a fascinating number and the doodads. But before we do that, we want to take a second and thank Casper Mattress for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If I seem especially well rested, it's because I sleep on a Casper mattress every night um, and I bought, bought it before they were an advertiser on the podcast. I had actually, uh, it was my um, brother and sister-in-law that recommended it and we've really liked it. Casper is an obsessively obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foams create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink in and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inv uh, inventions of 2015. It has free shipping and returns in the US and Canada and over 20,000 reviews at an average of 4.8 stars. It's quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash improve and use offer code improve terms and conditions do apply and also buy Zenfolio. Zenfolio is an excellent option for your photography website. Even our own Jeff Harmon uses Zenfolio for his website. What's your website, Jeff? So people can check out an example. It's jsharmonphotos.com. Cool. And so what, what made you pick Zenfolio in the first place? Well, honestly, I didn't pick it out of the crowd. It kind of was picked for me with the advertising on various things. So uh, <laughs> well, I, I tried it out based on seeing that. They had a free trial, so I tried it out. But I've stuck there because of the versatility of the site. There is uh, almost nothing that I can't do through the site. And I don't have to understand. I mean, actually, I wish I could get a little bit deeper in in doing some of the developer stuff because I'm a developer and I, I want to get my hands dirty a little more than they let you. But for most photographers, they don't want that. And it does just really well with that. Uh, a good example would be I, I delivered a bunch of um, posters that I've done for the high school recently. And I wanted to have the posters available for purchase from the players of families, but the school, I wanted to be able to download them and use them for free. And I could totally set that up just trivially. It was simple, simple to set that up in Zenfolio. So it's it's versatility. Anything I want to accomplish, um, I've been able to do through through Zenfolio, and it just clicks away. It's, it's nice that way. I think that's the real strength of Zenfolio is that it's made for photographers. So client galleries, selling photos, getting photos printed, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. It has all of that baked in. And so if you need that very photography centric stuff in your portfolio, Zenfolio really is an excellent option. And now you can get 30% off any annual, any, any annual plan when you use the code IMPROVE at Zenfolio.com. So don't wait. Get started today and see the impact a Zenfolio website can make on your business. That's Z-E-N-F-O-L-I-O.com. Offer code IMPROVE for 30% off any annual plan. Build it beautiful with Zenfolio. Websites, proofing, and selling. Okay. Okay. 
we are going to talk a little bit about shooting basketball. Jeff, I know you've been shooting a ton of high school basketball games. Um, and as you're talking, I want to, uh, I'm going to go back to your Facebook and I want to just mention a really cool tip. This is a little random. We, I think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but it's really cool. So one thing you're doing, Jeff, is I'm seeing you post on your photography page before every high school basketball game. You're posting like this this kind of poster that you make uh to get people excited about the about the game coming up um like this big you know game day image with the players cut out and stuff like that uh it's really cool and it's got to be getting you some uh, attention and and more opportunities to shoot at the high school i think that's cool yep absolutely is it's working out really really well there's a lot of people who are uh, saying that they're going to be coming to me i've got some that are scheduled for senior portraits already but they're they're saying we just, they just love how I've made their their athlete look in the photos, and the, the boys didn't want to do senior photos at all. Like that's so stupid. I don't want that, mom. And uh, now that they've seen those, they're like, I'll let him do my senior photos because I look cool at his picture. Yeah, it's kind of giving them the pro treatment. It's really yeah. cool. So, t- so what have you learned sh- shooting basketball? The the photography centric stuff. What what tips have been helping? So, I've, yeah, I've been trying out a lot of stuff. I, I asked for some advice from some of the people. Like I talked to Sharky James a little bit. He's an avid sports photographer. Yeah. And got some advice from him on what to do. So took some tips there, but uh, it was really experimentation too because I'm shooting with different equipment than a lot of sports photographers are. They usually have full frame and the really fancy lenses. And here as a hobbyist, I don't have that stuff. So I had to figure out how am I going to make this work, even though I don't have that. I've got a, a crop sensor Canon camera. It's a 7D Mark II. So it's it's got a really good focusing system, but the ISO performance isn't as good for sure as a, as a full frame. I, I uh, only recently got a lens that, uh, you know, applies pretty well, but I, I know there's some, some gaps in it and I'll, I'll go through it in just a second of what that is. But that was my challenge was how do I get this to lo- to work well? What I was really worried about was I knew these were going to end up noisy. And what I've really come to have be cemented again, I've heard it said before, but only photographers worry about noise. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Do not worry about noise. And uh, in particular, we have a whole bunch of uh, mothers here of the, these athletes that are in the high school basketball team. And they are just giddy about these photos, even though they are the, the noisiest photos I've ever turned over to a client before. Um, they just love these photos and, uh, they, they don't ever mention the noise or anything. It's, it's just great. So I wanted to go through just kind of the few of the things that I've learned as I've done this, it might be more specific to my situation and the gear that I'm using, um, to start off with shutter speed, at least one four hundredth of a second, if not more, I've gone, uh, a couple of steps above that in some cases to see it. Um, one four hundredth is about the minimum. If you Very go less than minimum, that, yeah, yeah. I like blur. to be more like one eight hundred or a thousand yeah. is really where you're there. And but there's no way, no way I can go that high. The ISO would have to be so high that's not a, an option for me. So yeah, and that's the yeah. that's the most difficult thing. Even today, even though cameras have gotten so much better, even with an f two point eight lens, I was shooting my kids' soccer game this week, and it's in a like a church gym, and it's just. I mean, it seems fine when you're in there just right. looking, but to a camera, it's so camera, yeah. dim. It, even with an f two point eight lens, even with a nice camera, 
you're really just pushing the limits of what they can do still, even today. But at the same time, that's kind of the blessing of the situation because you have parents who are trying to capture this on their iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blurry just a garbage. blurry mess. Yeah. So, yeah. So when they see one where it's actually almost clear, even though there's noise there, um, they're like, oh, that is so much better shot. And I'm so glad I have a shot like that of my kid playing basketball. So, uh, you know, they, they still really, really appreciate it. Aperture 2.8, like you said, Jim, that's kind of the minimum. Um, if I, my wife comes with me to some of these games and she does second shooting and she's using the 50 millimeter 1.8 so she can get a little lower ISOs because of the 1.8 and, uh, really good. It's got some good results. It's harder to hit focus though. It's much, much harder to hit focus. She can focus on, she, she, there's a tendency to get like the player just behind the one you're trying to get. And then the focus is off enough that it's obvious. And we, we don't use those because they're too out of focus. Um, so, so that's a challenge going even, you know, lower foot or the apertures will opening up even wider, the lower numbers it can be a challenge, but you absolutely have to have 2.8 that the, if you think you're going to take your kit lens and try to go 3.5 at your 18 millimeters or yeah, something, it's, it's not going to work. Not yeah, hey, no. yeah. So I, I think a 70 to 200 or on, I guess in Fuji world, it's a 50 to 140. Uh, but a 7200 is a great lens. I know Jeff, you have on order the brand new Tamron 70 to 200. That's exciting. But you know, there are a, a lot of other lenses that can easily be overlooked for sports photography, indoor sports photography. Uh, if you go to improvephotography.com and you click on the lens finder, um, it's actually getting a nice update right now by Brent Bergherm. Um, but if you go to improvephotography.com, click on recommended gear and then the lens finder, if there are some really nice lenses in there for sports photography uh, that are not super expensive, um, and especially in a sport like basketball where you um, where you're kind of close, you're you're a lot closer to the players than you would be in football or soccer or something like right. that. You can get a lot get away with like these, you know, 135 millimeters, even 85 millimeter f 1.8. That's a fast lens, and you know you can't shoot clear across the court. But when they're close, you're going to get a nice shot at f 1.8. So, nice and clean too. Yeah, yeah. There are some some uh, inexpensive lenses that that could work really well for basketball. So I'm using the Tamron 24 to 70. That's the best zoom I've got that goes 2.8 throughout. And the reason that I wanted to use that one, well, it's what I have. So I'm going to go there because it's what I have, but also because I wanted to be able to try to get something on both sides of the court. I wanted to get something when they're on the side I'm on and something when they're on the opposite side. And it's not quite enough to reach the other side. So on my, on my crop sensor, the 24 millimeter end of it is more like a 40 millimeter on full frame and the 70 millimeters about 112 millimeters on full frame equivalent. So that's why it kind of works because it's that range, which is almost, you know, it's the 70 to 200 stuff is, you know, you're getting fairly close in those ranges of the millimeters on my crop sensor. So that, so that's helpful. I do wish I, I did. I need that extra 80 millimeters though, to get mm-hmm. the other end of the and so, uh, yeah, I do have the, the Tamron, the newest. I actually bought the old one and have had to return it because the new one's come in a couple of weeks. <laughs> the newest Tamron 70 to 200. I was hoping I'd have it with its senior night at the high school this coming Tuesday. I wanted to have it for that, but uh, I'm going to wait and get the newer one. Anyway, so, so that lens is, is a good one on crop sensors. But some other just kind of 
practical tips about how to do it like physically on the court, where you should stand, where you should be. Um, I like being near the baseline, but not on the baseline. I've shot a few games where I was actually like past the baseline, um, which if you don't, I don't know if people don't know basketball terms, the <laughs> basket is, is right on a line that's called the baseline. And I was shooting there. I was standing there. Actually, I was sitting there for some of the early games that I did and, uh, and shooting from there. The problem was that the backboard would frequently get in the way of the players' faces and you'd mm-hmm. really struggle there. Plus, um, they would get too close. And so even though I, I had that, that 24 millimeter range, which is 40 on full frame, uh, it was, it was too close and I, I didn't get, I like I'd cut off their head or I certainly had no chance of getting the ball in the picture in a lot of cases. So I've gone instead to being near the baseline and probably stand about two feet away from the baseline being on the side of the court. So just out of bounds and out of the way the, where the refs would run by, but on the side of the court so that a right-handed player as they're going to shoot, you'll see their face. Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a good spot to be also because basketball is definitely an arm flailing kind of sport. <laughs> the, <laughs> one of the most frustrating thing that I found shooting basketball is people have their arms up for like the whole game. And <laughs> yeah. so if you're not at the perfect angle, their arm blocks their face and it's, right. it can just be really tough to shoot. So especially if you're, you know, under the basket or on that baseline, you're going to get a lot more of that because, you know, it's going to be more elbows to the face because you're shooting so so much up the nose at them. If you're kind of right. back a little bit, it kind of evens things out and you get less of that. Yep. And then as it goes, so I'm also on the side of the, so that the offense for the team I want to shoot, I'm shooting for my local high school. So I'm trying to get pictures of them. And I don't, there's not pictures of the other team that I'm after. And I make sure they're coming towards me when they're playing offense. And uh, so that you can get some really good close-up shots of them doing some of the offensive moves. And then I, I want more reach, but I take pictures of the defense, which for actually for several of the mothers, that's a big deal because a lot of their sons don't actually do a whole lot on offense, but they, they are critical to defense. So that's been some of the feedback was, I finally have a picture of my boy in his crouch playing defense, and I love it. This is so great to be able to see that. Um, so I, I do need a little more reach. I'm hoping I, when I get that 70 to 200 and put it on, I'm worried the 70 is going to be too tight for this, the other end of the court. And I may have to step back a little bit, but, but we'll see how it goes. So, um, so that's, that's kind of the, the places where I'm going to do it. And the one other thing I wanted to say, well, two, two last things, basketball is a vertical game. So portrait orientation when you're shooting is really good. Um, I, haven't done enough of it. I've learned it as I've done it and I forget. And then just because I'm so used to shooting in landscape orientation, I keep doing it. And then I realized ah, I got to do portrait. That it really helps, especially on the offensive side that it just, you get way more detail by doing it than, than you do landscape. What's nice about uh, shooting with a 70 to 200 is you can get a monopod and you can put it right in the collar mount, and that way you right. can rotate it re- very easily. And that, that I mean, not only that, seventy to two hundred gets really heavy really quickly yeah. <laughs> when you're right. shooting a game. And uh, if there's one thing I can add in terms of shooting basketball, and this was a- actually with uh, night football games that really seemed to help out a lot. You you usually have a dark uniform and a light uniform, and if you're focusing on that player, you're going to have a. I I, I was shooting manual. I was shooting with a 7200 and, you know, F2.8. And when I was shooting manual, I'd put on auto ISO. 
but you would see the ISO jump drastically depending on which uh, uniform you would have it on. Sure. So I use back button focus. And what I would do is I would the uh, holding the shutter release halfway down would be my exposure lock. So I'd get where I knew it was good because if you go strictly just by the autofocus without having that exposure lock, you're going to get some pictures that are just either too dark or the other side too blown out. So if you know that in between ISO that you've been shooting at where you're getting good results, it's nice to get that held down and fr uh, locked with the uh, exposure lock. That's a good point. A That's another thing that I really like about having an ISO invariant camera. That's a yeah. perfect situation for it. Um, yeah. Like weddings where you always see the bride's dress overexposed or sports where you have, you know, the black jersey team against the white jersey team. Uh, either you lose the detail in the black jersey or you lose the detail in the white jersey, uh, depending on if they're standing in the sun or the shade or whatever. And you can't change it that fast uh, during right. the game. You try to get something in the middle, but it, you just can't get it quite right. Yeah, uh, yeah, if you're yeah. shooting a, cam a camera that's ISO invariant, like uh, any of the Fujis, um, many of the Nikon cameras we have an article on improvephotography.com if you just google uh, iso invariance you'll probably see that article from improved photography um, that's a perfect situation for it where you just kind of shoot in the middle and when you move that exposure slight slider in lightroom it's exactly the same no difference whatsoever from changing the iso as changing that slider Whereas if you do that on most Canon cameras uh, that are mm. not ISO invariant, not good. it's not good. It does terrible no. things when you do that. Uh, so right. that's that's a perfect situation where ISO invariance is very, very handy. The last thing I wanted to say about it was don't forget that there's not just the game that people are interested in. There's the student section. There's, you know, as they're doing the national anthem, you can get some patriotic shots, the cheerleaders, parents, the coaches in the huddle during timeouts. There's, there's constantly things to be taking pictures of. We had at the last home game, it was the rival high school and they had a kid dressed up as Moses who went and parted the student <laughs> section. And nice. those were some great pictures to get. They've loved having those. Uh, so pay attention to what else is going on and don't just get the pictures of the game. A good cool. point because if you get to know which, which sons or daughters are where the parents are in the crowd, after they have a score, you can you know zoom right in on the parent and they love that. I've had one family who bought a picture of the crowd because it was the only game where they had multi-generations there. The grandparents were in town and I got a, I happened to get a picture of them all together. See, now that's priceless. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's great. All right. We are to the fascinating number of the week. Um, and the fascinating number this week is 9%. 9% is the reduced sales that Nikon saw predominantly in the imaging business um, in, this, in this last quarter, and that's year-over-year -year numbers. That is shocking. So there were, there were some scary numbers that came out of Nikon, and everybody said the world is ending. Nikon isn't going anywhere, right? Nikon's sticking around for a long time. Uh, it's still a very successful company. They make great equipment. However, a 9% reduction in sales tells us something about the photography industry. Um, yeah. and, and I guess the question is, what is it? What is it that that number tells us? iPhone. Do you think so? <laughs> Do you think it's iPhone? Because I mean, haven't cell phones eaten up as much as they're going to eat up of the camera market? Or do you think there's still further downside in that? 
regard. I think that becomes a, a bigger problem the more generations that go by with smartphones. You have people who would have normally desired to get a better camera at some point in their life. And now the smartphone is covering that and that's good enough. They, they have no reason to go buy a bigger, a better camera. And they're getting so good, the smartphones. For example, when I uh, you see a lot of people, the DSLRs, they'll do a time lapse. And I often think, why not just use your phone? Mm-hmm. It's so much easier, you know? It's just crazy. But uh, Nikon, well, going back to these incremental upgrades, you know, you stop innovating and then look at that new 70 to 200. $2,700 lens. Yeah. yeah. You know, that kind of uh, scares people away. Yeah. I, Nikon isn't going anywhere again. I think they're a great company right. and have great equipment. Uh, if I were shooting Nikon today, this would be nothing. It wouldn't matter to me. However, it does, uh, it, would be a warning to me if I was considering switching to Nikon that they just gave away a huge uh, percentage of their most valuable workforce. The most experienced people uh, gave away early retirements. Uh, they didn't, I didn't right. see specific numbers on how many people, but uh, when I saw the cost of that, it was a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I think of the talent target was supposed left. to be a thousand people and they actually went with 1100. That's a lot of people and their most experienced people because it's early retirement. Um, that brain drain from a company is scary for sure. So I, I don't think this matters so much over the next few years, uh, but in the long term, it could. Um, and so I'm, I'm interested to see what that means. I think Nikon's still a great company, but we'll we'll see what that means over time. Well, I want to make a quick announcement. Improved photography needs more writers. We need your voice. If you are a camera fanatic like us, you like to geek out with us every week on the podcast. Uh, Jeff, you've written a lot of articles on the website. And Brian, you write even more articles on the website. Um, We need your voices on improvedphotography.com. I would love to be able to triple the number of writers we have over the next few weeks. So if you uh, follow photography, you don't have to be the, the, you know, you don't have to be God's gift to photography here, uh, but somebody who's, <laughs> who's into photography has a good knowledge of photography. We want you. Uh, these are paid positions. They're columnists. You kind of just do it in your free time. You usually write two articles per month and you'll have this column and we're looking at ways that we can, that I can feature those writers even more on the website. So if you're interested, email me directly at jim at improvephotography.com. And just tell me a little bit about you. If you have a link to your photography, that's great. Uh, just just tell me a little bit about you and, and why you're interested in writing. That would be awesome. And my assistant will get back to you. And then eventually you'll be, uh, once you're kind of onboarded, we'll get you in a Facebook messenger group that, that uh, we have for all of the columnists. And we're always writing back and forth on there all the time. So I, I look forward to getting to know a few of you there who want to become columnists on improvephotography.com. Check it out. Email me at jim at improvephotography.com. Well, I am heading out to Ireland this week, and my doodad of the week is the Serp Genie Mini. This is a a motorized pan head for doing time lapses. I really wanted to order one of these for the Ireland trip. There were a couple shots I wanted to do, 
but I didn't order on time. So I do <laughs> not have one in my hands, but uh, it looks like a really cool product. It's a little expensive at $350. There are a lot of them that are, you know, in the $50, $60 range, but this one has all the cool bells and whistles, you know, all the things you can attach to your smartphone and stuff. We have a review on improvephotography.com, uh, which is very well done. And so if you're interested, definitely check that out. I'll link to it from the show notes. That article's from Rusty Parkhurst, one of our columnists. Uh, really great article, so check that out. Jeff, how about you? All right, so I'm going with one I haven't actually done a lot with yet either. <laughs> but that's the <laughs> Canon Wi-Fi adapter W-E1. Just, you know, such a self-describing product there. That that name says Beautiful. it all, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea here, um, one of the things that I want to do with the high school basketball I'm doing, uh, I want to, during halftime, be able to share some of the actual files. And what I've been doing so far is taking a picture with my phone of the LCD screen to send <laughs> out every halftime. And you know, people love it. That they, There's not better photos than that that they're seeing at halftime. And uh, so that that's okay. But I wanted to get a little better. So this is something you can go in some of the, the newer prosumer line of Canon cameras. It, uh, it takes advantage of your dual slots. So if you have the CF card and the SD card slot, you give up one of those slots, the SD card, and you put in this little this little chip that's the size and format of an SD card, and it adds wireless capabilities to your camera. And of course, so they couldn't just use, build that in the camera. Right. <laughs> no, that would be too much to ask. That'd be too hey, much innovation. Optional, optional electronic viewfinder, optional Wi-Fi. It's, it's <laughs> you have choices. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that, um, you can use the, the Canon Connect app. You can control your camera and download some of the photos. So I haven't even gone through setting it up yet, but uh, I'm going to be doing that shortly. And I'll, I'll be talking about it on Photo Taco about what my experience is there. I hope it's better than the Nikon SnapBridge because uh, I've even seen Tony, Tony Uthrop's gone off on that over the last couple of weeks about how terrible that is. It just doesn't work. So I hope it's better than that. Brian? Okay, my doodad of the week is this thing called the uh, focus shifter. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. Yeah. Oh, you have? Uh-huh. All right. Well, I've I've won I won this on a on a online photo contest. They I think they're like 50 bucks, but it's very good for uh macro photography where you just, you know, you get your focus set in and then what is so this is an, an attachment to your lens that it's it's like yes. attaches to your lens and it gives you this like huge gear shifter uh it's, yeah. it's huge it's like the size of the camera uh it this huge gear shifter handle that comes off the lens that just allows you to shift into third gear and you're like let's focus <laughs> this sucker it's great it looks like you're about to go cyclic on whatever you're <laughs> shooting this is uh so what Actually, you do it's kind of hilarious to look at. Yeah, what you do is you you set your focus point, and then you would make a little mark with a dry erase marker, and then you get your next focus point, and you make another point there. What it's really good for is video. Actually, sure. you can also you can also put it on the zoom ring, or let's say when you have it on the focus ring, if you were doing something like an interview, if you had it on one person, and then to quickly go over to the other person, just like that maybe not on a wide angle lens like this yeah is on so here. so for people that aren't into video like let's say somebody's walking from 20 feet away to 10 feet away during a shot 
Well, yeah. autofocus isn't going to work because it's going to keep hunting and changing, right? Herky jerky, we just yes. need it to be smooth coming through. So you yep. focus on the person in the back. You mark on this little like tiny whiteboard on it where that spot is. And then you focus on them, you know, come walk forward and you focus there and you mark on the whiteboard there. And then you just slowly move that shifter. In movies, like when they're making movies, there's a whole person, an entire person that's their whole job is to pull focus. And so for for video makers in the DSLR world, this is you get this awesome gear shifter to attach to your camera. Yep, and you're going to be sure everybody that sees you, they're going to say, "What is that on your lens?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and that's when you just quickly hide it under your shirt and you say, "I'm sorry, this is pre-production Canon gear. I can't tell the world about this." <laughs> and you get on like 15 different blogs. Uh, very nice. Well, uh, Brian and Jeff, thank you for taking the time to share with us some photo knowledge. And listeners, we appreciate you making us part of your your commute to work or you're sweating it out on, on the treadmill or wherever you are right now. We're looking forward to lots of cool things coming up in the next few weeks. And if you think you might want to throw your hat in the ring to be a writer on improvephotography.com, don't forget, email me at jim at improvephotography.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye.